Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Yes, indeed, there is a war for your soul. And thank you for joining us today for this discussion on soul wars. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this very beautiful day and that you are the author, not of confusion, but of peace and joy and victory. Lord God, that we thank you, Lord, that your word gives us the understanding and untangles the and unravels the mysteries of iniquity that have worked and wrought their way into our souls, into our lives to wreck us, Lord God. I pray that you would give us today as we listen um, eyes for our soul to hear and see what you're saying, to understand, to recognize the irresolvable conflicts, the setups, the traps and the webs that Satan has set for our lives. And Father God, that we look to you to walk in that place of wisdom and counsel and peace because you are the wonderful counselor and you are the, the, um, the God of all comfort. So Lord, I thank you for salvation which is finished. It's good. It's done. We don't have to work on it. It's it's ours by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You've done the work. And Lord, you said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so today, as we take on this war, let us look at the victories, the solutions, and the setups, Father God. And um, we thank you, Lord, also for the promise that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that no word said, no deed done, no action taken by the enemy will be able to bring forth any shame, trouble, or reproach. So I thank you that you cover our families and all those who are listening, their families, their situations, that you bring answers to our prayers. They teach us how to come boldly before the throne of grace and mercy, to find grace and help in time of trouble, that you secure these lines, these radio waves, our technical equipment, Father God, our chat rooms, everything, that it would be covered with the blood of Jesus Christ. We're coming in to do this under the assignment of the Most High God. And we say to the enemy, you cannot, you must back off. You will not mess with what we're doing here in the name of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God. So, Lord, give us ears now and joyful hearts, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, honey. Amen. Amen. Thank well, you. Good morning. Yes, good morning. Here we go. We're talking about conflicts. Today. Oh, yeah, the top of the morning right there. Yeah, right. <laughs> what a good way to start out the morning, huh? Yeah. A little bit of war. And what we call the soul wars, I like that. Yeah. That's what we are dealing with, the soul wars. But we're talking today about uh, irresolvable conflicts. Now, what? And is... dilemmas and and um, things that make double-mindedness. You see, the soul wars can actually be happening in two different fronts. I see soul wars as an expansion. There's a, there's a war between in our soul, between our mind and our uh, emotions, our mind and our heart. And the will becomes the umpire for those decisions that we make. And a lot of times where we make our decisions not even agreeing with ourselves, we'll say, well, I think I should do this or that. But then my heart says, well, I don't feel like it. And so then the will becomes confused and double-minded and says, well, what are we doing? And this is the way we kind of run our lives. It's kind of a back and forth, kind of digging a rut motion. And and as we dig that rut all of our lives with that double-mindedness and and unbelief, it becomes a rut and a grave. Yeah, it, it's, there really is a lot of confusion. So some days I follow my head, some days I follow my heart. 
And, and sometimes, sometimes <clears throat> I just grit down and says, "No, I'm going to do this." Uh, you know, we make with sheer willpower, right? Sheer willpower, and which lasts about what twenty well, minutes or yeah, a few days, a yeah, few hours, lasts, maybe. You know, it's like people say that you know, after the first of the year, I'm going to lose fifteen pounds and I'm going to work out. Yeah, but uh, these are every day. Uh, my New Year's resolution, and but worse than that, go very far. You know, these are human, biological, uh, natural situations that we try to resolve. But the the second location that these wars uh, go on is between the soul and the spirit, and that's where we run into trouble with the Word of God because God's Word says, for example, um, let's see, He says, uh, you know, love your enemies. Um, and that, and you're supposed to uh, uh, bear one another's burdens and and turn the other cheek and all of these kinds of things. We're wanting justice, um, and 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 yet we, you know, we want to defend ourselves. And yet he says, um, you know, love your enemies, give them your coat, your cloak. Uh, don't you know, take them to court. All these kinds of things. So when we're when we're wanting to walk in the spirit as opposed to what the nat- the natural man coming out of the soul would say. Well, take vengeance, do this, do that. Here's your strategy. Reasoning says, well, this is what we need to do, whatever. But the, the Spirit, the Word of God, says something totally different. So today, as we're talking about these conflicts, we're going to recognize that there are actually two different sets of conflicts. One that goes on in your soul, between your mind and your emotions. And your and, will. And, and, well, your will is the umpire. The will okay. is the one who makes the decision. And then in your um, between your soul, which is your carnal nature, um, and your and your and your spirit, which is being led by, prompted by the spirit of God. So, as we recognize these two locations, let's just look at some of the generalized. I mean, you, you know, we've talked about this before, and I think our our whole. The other thing we need to before we start that is to recognize that the three issues of life that must be resolved uh, or are constantly being addressed that the that that provoke this war. Uh, those three issues are safety righteousness and responsibility mm. those are the kind of the general categories for so for example in safety it has to do with in you know, our personal safety food clothing shelter um physical safety vulnerabilities taking care of the uh, essential um elements or needs of the human body and the human life or our families so that's safety um and of course it can be safety in terms of emotional relationships feeling safe, not, uh, you know, um, lied to or betrayed, that sort of thing. So there's safety issues. The second one is righteousness issues. Um, and the Bible says to, to eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. But a lot of people are tangled up in this desire to be right, thinking being right means they're righteous. And so righteousness, the issue of am I good, that's what that is all about. If am I good? What do I have to do to prove I'm good? To um, uh, maintain my goodness? Um, to maintain my right to be here? Some people are even attacked in that very that they they don't even have a right to be here. They're so you know how they came into the world. They see that they've come in through a, a kind of a back door or an accident or a. Uh, between people who don't want them, and they feel like they don't have a right to be here. But however, you've got to go back to who brought you here, who put you here. Was it your parents, or was it the Lord God who designed and de- declared you will be here? You will. I call you forth, no matter how how you have to get here. To get here, you're going to be here because I want you here. And the third thing 
the third issue that of life that must be resolved and is constantly being um, help, having to be dealt with is responsibility. And in this one, we're being tempted constantly to to judge other people, judge ourselves, uh, point the finger, uh, identify the place of blame, fix the problem, um, and and examine um, ourselves, examine other people. And you know, in, in this particular one, we we wrestle with things like hypocrisy, guilt, anger, resentment, um, and so uh, finding faults in other people. These are all to identify and and deal with this. Who's who's blame is whose fault is this? Well, let's uh, <clears throat> if we could look back. The root of this, mm-hmm. the the original place where this conflict came in, is we look at back at Genesis chapter three. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and, and um, let's. Uh, I'm just going to read a few verses here. Um, Genesis chapter three, verse one. Now the serpent. So here's another factor coming in. The serpent. The adversary. The adversary. The adversary yeah. Satan, the devil. The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, "Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden?" And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Total conflicting statement to what God had said. Right. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. It will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, like God is keeping something from you. He's yep. keeping knowledge so from you. So he's setting up a conflict. Setting up a conflict. <clears throat> so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. Now, she she went by her senses mm-hmm. rather than the, by the word of God. Mm-hmm. It, you know, and, and she also gave to her husband, okay, Yeah. Uh, shared in <laughs> her... Uh, Mistake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she also gave it to her husband. With okay. her, and he ate, and he entered into it. Uh, so we see the conflict there begins. Then that set up then the conflict between Adam and Eve and all the human race after that. But in the original, the conflict was questioning really the issue that was really being questioned was the goodness of God. Goodness of God. It's like God is holding something so back, keeping mm-hmm. something from you. Maybe he's yeah. not so good. So I think that's a very key piece because in all of our trials uh, and testings in this earth, really they can be really reduced down to one thing. The question can be, all the questions, all the situations can be reduced down to one thing. Is God good or is he holding something back from me? Is he keeping his word? Is he giving me everything I need? all the trees of the garden, or is he holding something back? And Eve did not understand that the reason God had to put that that one fateful tree in the midst of the garden was because God had to give them, as because he's a God of love and he wanted them to love him back freely, not as robots, he had to give them an opportunity to reject his love. That's what love is. Love is giving someone an opportunity to reject you. 
really the definition of love is to know and be known, to know someone and still love them even after you know all about them. Yes. And shame says, oh, don't look at me because if you, if you look too deep, you're going to find something in there that I don't even like, some terrible, guilted, uh, you know, thing that the devil has done against me as some, some charges he's pressing against me that I, as I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm ugly, I'm stupid, whatever. And so, to, and fear says, don't look, don't look at me. Um, shame says, don't look at me, I'm embarrassed. But love says, it's okay. I already, God knows us already, and God is good. God knew at that moment, he knew before that, he knew from the foundation, he knew before he created Adam and Eve, that they would come to this moment and they would be tricked. He knew that. Mm-hmm. God knows everything. He's omniscient. He knows everything. And so, but going back to the issue that all of our conflicts come down to the question, is God good? Is he going to help me? Does he love me? Or is he going to let me sit here and struggle and suffer and and, and, you know, uh, because a lot of the times, honey, when God is allowing us to grow up, a lot of things get tough. We have to, you know, we go through the struggle, whatever it is, the conflict, the, um, the irresolvable conflicts, and we have to finally come to the place of surrender. And, and surrender, you know, my, my desire for safety says never surrender, never give up, never quit, keep going. Take control. Big time. Take control. It's up to me. I've got to do it. And that all comes directly against what the Lord and the Word says, that trust me, lean upon me, lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge me. Um, God is good. God loves us. All of this this stuff about God is what's really being challenged here in the garden. And did God leave you, uh, keep something from you? And so is God really good or is he just out for himself? Is he just an egocentric, egotistical God who's going to make, make, make us, no matter what, no matter how, make us do what he wants? Or if we don't do it, uh, he's going to crush us with his wrath and his anger. So so, we look at verse 7, the conflicts multiply here. Then the eyes, Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. So they 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 sensed an inadequacy, a, a nakedness, uh, a condition that was not good, uh, not really according to what the devil had promised them, the serpent had promised them, knowing good and evil. Well, they got to know evil mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. They didn't know evil, but they got to know evil. And what they did is try to made an attempt to reconcile. We've got to do something about this. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're going to do something. There's a nakedness. There's a condition here there's that we problem. haven't experienced before. So let's do, oh, I know what let's do. We'll do something to solve it. So they sewed fig leaves together, mm-hmm. made themselves coverings. Mm-hmm. Uh, their own covering. To, 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 their own covering. And then when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, Adam and, Eve and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God mm-hmm. among the trees of the garden. So, so what happened? Apparently, they were in fellowship. They were communion. They loved the presence of God. Mm-hmm. They were enjoying the presence of God. Safety, but, peace, yeah, goodness. It, it was good. It was safe. But now they realize this is not safe. It's not safe to be around God yeah, in the condition that we're in right now. And that's exactly what they did. I call it the hide and fix 
solutions to sin. And our our hiding is, of course, shame and denial and running away from God. And we don't want to come into the light because the light of God makes manifest the hidden works of darkness. So we hide from God and then we fix. We fix our religious uh, concoctions together to try to make God happy. We come up with our rituals and our programs and our religions to try to cover uh, our, our shame. But what God at, end, ended up having to do, and this is very significant, God ended up in that first um, act of covering to cover their nakedness, to give them clothing. He actually killed probably a lamb or a sheep of some sort and shed that blood and gave them coverings. And from that point on, blood had to be shed for the coverings to be um, given. Mm-hmm. And finally, Jesus came as the Lamb of God to shed his blood for the covering of the sin of whosoever will. Yeah. And, you know, here are the multiple conflicts that were set up. Then the Lord God said to Adam, called Adam and said to him, where are you? Now, God knew where he was. It wasn't God. It was just like, where, what happened to him? Where did they go? He says, where are you? Where are you? What, what is your condition now? Mm-hmm. Uh, so he said, heard your voice. This is Adam speaking. I heard your voice in the garden. And I was afraid, fear came, okay, mm-hmm. because I was naked and I hid myself. Right, as if we can hide from wow. God. So then we go into the, this is this is life now on the planet. From this point on, there's the war. There's, there's the, the conflict. war, and it's like, you know, God's realized, that, of course, that they had violated his command. And so then the man said to the woman, said, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Blame. I'm blaming the woman and uh-huh. he's blaming God. You gave me this woman. God, mm. you're, you're at fault here. Mm-hmm. You uh, gave me a faulty woman. woman is, is at fault. And, and then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman blamed the serpent. Said, the serpent deceived me mm-hmm. and I ate. So there's all these you notice conflicts that are introduced in yep. this uh, mm-hmm. very early chapter in the history of right. mankind. And so, you know, a lot of people say, well, Eve said it was the serpent who deceived me. In other words, he tricked me and God did not correct her. He didn't say, well, that's too bad or you had it coming or you should have known better. God was completely on board with her realizing that she had discerned it correctly and that the devil had deceived her. But a lot of times people now that this, little saying gets sw- switched around. See, the counterfeits are very close to the real. So the saying people use nowadays is the devil made me do it. The devil did not make Eve do it. The devil seduced Eve into making a decision through her own mind, will, and emotions to to use this fruit, to take this fruit, because she thought, believing the lie, it would make her wise, it would make her like God, and of course, who doesn't want to be wise and more like God? So even your desire to be more like God can be bait. Satan uses to trick you into not resting in the fullness and the finished work of God. And so um, she was; she already had everything she needed, and so did Adam that's, before that's the temptation. A, that's a very important thing to remember. They had God, who was the source of all wisdom and all. They had everything. Oh, uh, they they had everything. But they were tricked into believing. It was something was missing. That, that God is is not enough. And God wasn't good enough, or God wasn't keeping. God is keeping. I think both that God isn't good, and that God was keeping them some from something and, from and them. Exactly. It's like I, I meet people, a lot of people that that's that have this mentality that well, God is not adequate for me. 
God's God not of the Bible. Jesus well, a lot Christ of religious. Well, I have to go elsewhere. I have to go beyond or, Jesus. I don't want to limit myself to Jesus right? Christ. Yeah. I have to go and explore all these other isms and philosophies. And options. Yeah, but the thing is, God isn't enough. And so even in the church, people who profess that God is good and that God is everything, all that they need, will still add things to the gospel of Jesus Christ like good works. And people get real, they get, they stumble over this concept of good works, not realizing that when you're working, it is works. When you're abiding, what comes, the, pro, the product that comes out of an abiding is fruit. fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is really now the, you know, we say, well, Paul says, or I mean, James says, show me your faith by your works by with you know and I'll show you my faith by my works you know so it you know we he's saying there's got to be a fruit or a product that comes out of that abiding and of course if it's a good tree and it's a good branch you're going to get good fruit out of the branch you could say the branch is working but the re- branch is really actually resting in, resting. in, in trusting resting. receiving from right. the from the stem or the trunk of the tree or the vine. Yes what it needs. And that's exactly the concept, the picture, the analogy, the parable that Jesus uses for us. But that, and, but that, that's not conflict. That's peace. That's how he wants to us to abide in this earth. But let's look at some of the possibilities as we wrestle now um, against flesh and blood. When the Bible says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but actually Adam and Eve began to fight with each other. And to this very day, there is a curse there is a judgment made against men by women and against women by men. Mainly, the men have judged their wives as being, uh, what, unfaithful, um, controlling, easily nagging, deceived. Mm-hmm. Uh, less So than. when the woman was created by God to be the helpmate, the encourager, the partner, the, the uh, place of completion in the man's life, she now is removed from that position in the man's mind and he sees her as a deceiver or as treacherous and so then she is misread and through that blame that filter of blame and and it it goes both ways and the woman is supposed to be kept and protected by the man but if he's he's upset with her he's not going to protect her and so or keep her or like christ loves the church and gave himself for it and and husbands love yourselves as your your wives as yourself as you love your own body that is not happening and so women then become fearful insecure anxious and then tempted to take up the control and protection of their own children's sake or for their sake and so they then resist the man who has refused to give them love and protection so they don't give the man respect he doesn't give them love, so the war go. The war begins. The war begins, and you have and the, goes on and on. Again, thirty years ago, the women, women's liberation. Well, that's just women's a rights. Continu- it's, it's just it's, it's a, a continuation of the of the avalanche. Yeah. Uh, the the avalanche that's hit our lives. But going back to even if you're not married and you don't have a man or a woman in your life particularly, you're still going to find you're in this wrestling match with Satan. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. This is defined, this is the second conflict. This is the one between your soul uh, and your spirit. And this goes on internally. Uh, there are external conflicts, obviously, between person and person, uh, between you know nation and nation. But there's also a huge uh, internal conflict. Like For example, I'm, we're going to go to uh, Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 5, where he begins to talk about the kingdom of the Beatitudes, 
and the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God is so different and, and demands such a different um, uh, behavior, set of behaviors from us than, than does the world. But going, for example, um, you know, we are commissioned, called by God to surrender, to allow God to live and abide in us, to follow him. That's really the commandment of God. So the work and the law is all fulfilled in this that you love. The Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, your neighbors, yourself. So what's the, here's the conflict. What, how, how do I know the difference between letting go and surrendering or giving up and surrendering? It's not where we're resistant to the idea of, of giving up our opinions, letting go of our ideas, um, surrendering, submitting to someone or something, or some, and if, especially if it's a God that we don't know is good. Um, what about anger versus injustice and how, how are we supposed to Forgive and be patient in love when people are are abusing us and 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 betraying us and hurting us, um, and in a world that's filled with evil and anxiety and animosity, um, how are we supposed to think on whatsoever things are pure, lovely, honest, just, and a good report? How are we supposed to love our enemy when he is an enemy? How are we? Is it that we to not become a doormat? You know, and laying down our lives. For Jesus' sake, um, when God calls us to be more than conquerors, um, go ahead. Yes, uh, Matthew five thirty-eight through forty-two. This gives a little bit of a uh, illustration of this. Said, so "You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, tooth and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also." If anyone wants to sue you or take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Now, this is very contradictory to uh, our way human, of thinking, human, human reasoning, human, human nature, reason, yeah. mm-hmm. the, way, the way we operate. Now, there, there's a whole set of conflicts mm-hmm. that that arise right within that, that uh, those few, those few verses. And right we there. have to realize that this king, this is the kingdom of God. This is how the kingdom of God operates. This is how Jesus is counseling them through wisdom to deal with the conflicts in lives. Is um, you know to you know turn the other cheek, go the second mile, um, you know. Hate, love your, he says in 43, you have heard it was said you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and bless those who curse you and do good to those who pray for you and spitefully use you. Now, how can you absolutely do that if you don't realize, if on the bottom of all of this you don't know that there's a righteous judge who knows your heart and knows all about this and is, is ultimately going to deal with it according to justice. If you just have to throw yourselves in the lion's den and say, you're eat me up, because um, that's what you're going to do anyway, and there's no hope, no rescue, no mercy, because there's no God who loves me, then your life is going to be absolutely tormented and miserable because of these conflicts that you cannot resolve. And so on and on it goes. He says um, in verse uh, 37 of Matthew 5, he says, Let your yes be yes, and your no be no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. The evil one is the one who's stirring up um, broken promises and confusion 
and um, you know taking away the assurance of you know your word and your handshake and and that you can be trusted uh, because you're going back and forth between yes and no and maybe and I don't know and probably and I guess so and I think so and I don't know and it could be and all of these things give us nothing nothing stable with which to work with in our relationships with other people or with God. So really what a lot of people interpret this, this is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, mm-hmm. and, and 7. Uh, again, like you said, it is the, um, it's really the, in principles. Sense, the constitution of the kingdom of God, yeah. the operating principles of the kingdom mm-hmm. of God. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people, Marjorie, interpret this that we are just to be pacifistic and say mm-hmm. whatever happens, a doormat, happens. roll over, we're, we're play, dead. Roll over mm-hmm. play dead, mm-hmm. we're a doormat, mm-hmm. just give in, give up, and, and never, never speak against evil, just let it, you know, whatever happens, happen. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, before we can speak out against evil, we have to be absolutely confident and, and, and steadfast within to know what is going on and what is evil and what is not. And it starts with our own discussion within ourselves, between our mind, will, and emotions. So a lot of times the the, the conflict is in your soul. Uh, But after you're saved, the conflict really switches between within the soul to actually going between the soul and the spirit. Because in the spirit, we have the constitution of the kingdom of God as given to us by Jesus Christ. The wisdom of the spirit of God helps us to understand not only is it, you know, what should I do, turn the other cheek or, or shake the dust off and not even eat with them? But the, the Spirit of God will give us the wisdom as to know what time is it, what is the solution. And it's like people say, well, what should I do? Well, what you might do this day and this minute might be totally different than what you're being, being directed by God to do the next minute or the next day. And that doesn't mean we're double-minded. It just means that the thing is dynamic and this is a treacherous um uh, a torture rack kind of thing, and God is giving us wisdom on how to walk through it and get through it because God does not want us to abide, live in the torture rack, the conflicts of hell, because He came to set us free from. He became, He went on the torture rack for us to deliver us from the torture rack of it, the irresolvable conflicts. It is so vital that we follow the Spirit. This is this is where, this is where we stand. This is where we operate. As those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Mm-hmm, that's so this is what we are dependent upon. Not our we yes we we have emotions, we have uh, our, our reasoning, we have our will, we have all that. But that's all inferior. That's all inferior and inadequate and in dealing has, with this spiritual battle. Yeah, yeah. So we have to go directly to the. Listen to the Holy Spirit. And people, that's the problem. People say, well, how do you know it's the Holy Spirit? How do you know? Well, here's two things how you know. Number one, we're built by God to know. It's not, how do I know the will of God? You know the will of God. You know it because you're built to know it. You're built to recognize it when you hear it. If you're willing, with the resistances down, if the filters are not, you know, controlling you, the devil. If you're willing, you'll, if you're willing to listen you'll recognize when you know it because it's it sits right with you. You resonate with it. And the second way we know the will of God is through the Word of God, which if you read it without your religious glasses on, you'll probably see it a lot differently. Well, you said earlier the the Holy Spirit really helps us to know what, what time is it. Mm-hmm. There's a time to resist. 
there's a time to just not resist and so forth. Well, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 puts this in perspective. Uh, Verses 1 through 8, to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. Time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gain and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. If you notice that Jesus Christ, who had the fullness, the the Spirit was given without measure to him Mm -hmm. as he was here in his approximately three and a half years of earthly ministry, he he approached every situation differently. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But every person and every situation, he approached differently. You can't say he did the same thing. Right. The, yeah, he treated people in their the own particular different people. Mm-hmm. The uniqueness of each person, of each need in each situation, and each conflict and mm-hmm. each challenge, he addressed that because he was living in the in the fullness of the spirit. And, and he addressed it properly and uniquely, specifically to that person or situation. But if you go back to looking at what the Constitution, uh, the uh, the Beatitudes, Jesus is, uh, you know just you know, dispersing or declaring of what the kingdom of God is and requires, it is impossible. This is impossible. For example, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 41, um, you know, if someone compels you to go with him one mile, go with him two. Give to him who asks from you, and, and him who borrows from you, do not take turn away. Um, you know, again, love your enemy. Uh, all of these things are really humanly impossible there is these these things we cannot do them in our own they go they go contrary to our needs for safety righteousness responsibility common sense um logic reasoning they a lot of them just require faith they absolutely require not reasoning uh not willpower not uh self preservation motivation or self discipline they require Faith in the goodness of God. Well, you look at the situation here now. Um, Matthew five forty two. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Well, what what about a situation? What about being ripped off? Be totally ripped off. He says, "Oh, somebody meets you on the street. They're asking for money, and they want to go buy some coke. They're going to go buy some cocaine." He says, "Oh, well, Jesus said I just got to give it to you." Um, or, or if somebody wants to say they're going to borrow something from you, and and you may never get it back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, what do we do in a situation like that? Say, for example, give to him who asks you. We've had people over the years uh, that have come and uh, you know give us a, a, a story, uh, a song and dance about, hey, here's what here's what my need is, here's what my situation is. We've and they, all they, probably had that. Lying to us. Yeah. 
So okay, so how do we fulfill the will of God? In the, in, for example, bless those who curse you and do good to those who spitefully use you. How in the world? This takes spiritual strength. This isn't something I'm going to do in the natural because in the natural, uh, self-preservation, taking care of myself would say, um, no way, Jose, I'm not going to do that with you. You're not going to give me um, a curse me and I'm going to bless you. But God says, forgive them, love your enemies. This takes a supernatural strength. This yes. takes the spirit of God to do this because... Again, we um, God does not call us to be doormats. He calls us to be more than conquerors. But at the same time, we die daily. It's the flip side of the same coin. We die daily, uh, as Paul said, um, and then he also says uh, we're more than conquerors. So these catch-22s of life that we try to solve in our souls or in our, uh, you know, in our world, the issues of conflict that get greater and beyond us even, um, trying to uh you know defend yourself while your enemy is you know throwing rocks at you at the same time we're trying to um love them it's just like how do you do that um and so sometimes and even in in personal uh relationships there are conflicts and marriages and with husbands wives children parents where you become like damned if you do and damned if you don't it's a catch-22 there isn't any way uh it's never enough and there's always do more and it's never good enough. And, and so people are all, you know, if you give in to these kind of um, so temporary solutions, which are, you know, one-sided solutions that don't really work, um, you're going to be trying to please someone, for example, please them so that they'll love you, but you're already making their love for you conditional by your trying to please them. So how do you know if they really, the love is not unconditional at that point. It's conditional. And if you stop pleasing them, they stop loving you. That wasn't love in the first place. And so a lot of times we're trying to feel better about ourselves, but we're actually being controlled by the insecurity of others who are seeing as selfish or jealous. And you were looking for them to validate us, bless us, and encourage us when they themselves don't have it in them. They're, they're insecure. So God is saying, don't look to your relationships, other people, circumstances, position, money, whatever, because it can all be flattery. It can be bribery. It can be conditional. It's not genuine. My love for you, he says, is unconditional. I'm not loving you because you're good. I'm not loving you because you, you make me happy or you do the right thing or, you, you're, or you're obedient. I love you because you are mine. And that's the same way and reason and way, how you love your children. You don't love your children because they're good and obedient all the time. As a matter of fact, a lot of times you have to deal with them because they're disobedient, and you love them, and because you do love them, you deal with their disobedience. And that's the same with God. He loves us, and he is forced, not that he wants to. No parent wants to really deal with a child's disobedience. Some parents we know are absolutely demonized, and we're not talking about that set of people. We're talking about normal parents who love their children, who gave birth to these children or adopted these children, committed themselves, their lives to the care and keeping of these children. And when the children disobey, the parents are forced to, because of their love for the children, correct them. And this is the same position I believe God is in right now where he's being forced to correct um, his people, his, his world. And we must not understand it. Um, if, if God has to do this because it's a demonstration of love towards us and dealing with the evil, the vileness that's overtaking us, destroying us, then we do not have to take this as a personal against us by God. This is a position we as uh, sinning, disobeying, walking away from, disregarding um, all of the laws of God, 
uh, God has been forced to be put in it. So he's in a, he's in a conflict as well. But he his conflict is always resolved through his love and through his goodness and through his justice. So God's mercy and God's justice are in perfect um, harmony with each other, completely integrated. And because of both his mercy and his justice, we can rest in his goodness. But um, going on to some of the conflicts, you know, we, we get worried, we stress, um, and, you know, we become actually kind of acclimated to living in a place of conflict, worry, stress, frustration. We accept it. We don't consider it demonic. We don't consider it a demonic attack. We don't think these are demons, this fear, stress, and anxiety, this pressure to, to please to over, is overwhelming us, or the pressure to stay safe or declare our, or pro, uh, protect our reputation, uh, defend ourselves or defend our righteousness. Um, we, we, we think these things are our job to do. So we take it on and um, we argue uh, with others. We argue with ourselves. Uh, they control us. Things get worse. And pretty soon, actually, there are physical symptoms that begin to appear in our physical bodies. And I think we need to pay attention to them as well. You know, there's a conflict in our spiritual worlds, in our relationships, in our relational world. But when it starts to affect your body, your physical body, your body is created by God. Your physical body is made to know the truth and operate in the truth. And so when you are expecting your body to do things, sustain things, uh, obtain things, uh, carry things, that it's not built by God to carry, because after all, God did make us kind of vulnerable, weak, and and, and small, and, and needing many things to live. But when we expect our body to do things it cannot do, what's going to happen is it's going to start showing up in your physical body as symptoms of illness, weakness, fatigue, uh, and exhaustion. I'll give you an example. Um, for example, let's just say that you're living under a lot of fear, stress, anxiety, tension, perfectionism, performance, it's up to me. Uh, maybe you're a single person a single parent, maybe you're uh, alone in the world, you're feeling alone, um, and so every, you're afraid. It's all up to me. I've got to do it. And so what happens in those if fear, stress, and anxiety begin to um, come at the body. They're the, 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 they're, they're the stimuli that comes in, the information that comes in creates a reaction in the body, the fear, the anxiety, the stress, the pressure, whether it's at work or financially, whatever it is. What are the external pressure is internalized as fear, stress, and anxiety. And what happens is, biologically, it goes into our brain, into our uh, hypothalamus, which then disseminates the information throughout the body to prepare the body for fight or flight. Our, our, our homeostasis, balance, peace, state of peace and, and tranquility is disrupted in this momentary crisis. For example, if you're being chased by a bear, God has created your body to respond to that challenged by pumping adrenaline into your system, cortisol, and pulling the blood away from the external uh, re- extremities of the body so that if you get cut by the, the claw or something, it's not going, you're not going to burn, uh, bleed to death right away because the blood is pulled inside to the deep muscles and the, and the heart and things that have to, have to be in motion, have to be pumped up, hyped up to get, get you to safety. But if that, and, and once that bear is goes away, whatever, and you survive it, you, you start, you hear, feel yourself panting and, you know, gasping and getting back to that settle down. You may have been traumatized by bears in your mind from now on. Every time you see anything like a bear, you're going to freak out again, but that's a call to trigger. 
or but you're going to eventually get back into a okay place where your body is doing fine but if the if the if the identified danger is never completely truly identified um it's like an internal thing um it's like stress fear drivenness um fear of the unknown for example i think that's a big one in in people's lives it will begin to it will stay there and it, became, it keeps that adrenaline pumping it keeps that body at, at that uh, 110% revved up motion, and you can't sustain that without ramming the blood and the oxygen through your body and breaking your veins. And and and, and then, so what happens is, if you go back to the extern the uh, the story, when your when your, bro- your blood veins are constricted on the surface of your body, and uh, and and your fear is a fear of the unknown or fear of the future or fear of, of financial troubles of the future, it constricts your vessels. And when that's happening, then your blood pressure goes up because it takes more pressure in the heart to pump that blood through those, those constricted vessels. So that's how we get things like high blood pressure. But I know that when fear also traps the poisons in the body or people who have feelings, they say, oh, there's something wrong. I feel it, my body feels tight, tense. I mean, this all comes out of conflict. This is all about the irresolvable. How do you make your body feel okay when your body doesn't feel okay? How do you try to get well when when things are collapsing inside of you? How do you stop the collapse? How do you, you there's a, there comes a point where you cannot do it. You must surrender to God. So if you're believing this lie that there's something wrong with me, all that does is generate more fear and makes you more uptight. And when you're uptight, then you tighten up and you tense up. And when you tense up, you hold back. You hold back your um, uh, things aren't moving through your body. Exchanges aren't being made. Chemicals aren't being moved forward and through the bodies and, and, and um, toxins are not being removed. And uh, you're uptight and tense and you're not relaxed. You can't let go. So then you try to get better. You try this, try that. But the solution to even these most physical, biological concerns is knowing that you're okay because you are loved by God, knowing that you're not alone, knowing that there's not a thing happening in your body, there's not an equation, there's not a reaction, there's not a a thing that the enemy could try to be doing in your body that God does not know about, that God cannot fix. And that comes through knowing that God loves us and that we're forgiven and that we're safe. So I know that's a that's a long story, but the, use that to apply that to any. Your body is going to be expressing the tension, the exhaustion, the weariness of a conflict. So when you're sick or not feeling well or tired, ask the Lord to show you what is the conflict, what is the fear, what is the lie that fear is telling you. And so what happens is uh, we we make all kinds of efforts to resolve these things, to settle these things. Um, there's all kinds of things that we do to uh, attempt to resolve the various conflicts. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, Some people will choose education or religion or reasoning, self-justification, medication, busyness, mm-hmm. a power quest or power influence, uh, seeking wealth and materialism, uh, seeking fame. Uh, we we try to you know, medicate ourselves with entertainment, pleasure, and thrill seeking. Mm. But well, none of it works. All, all kinds of escapes to deal. All these things are are 
ways that we attempt we to actually, deal with, to attempt to solve these conflicts, right. and they actually wear they, us out. They wear us out, yep. and they, they 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 don't settle the conflicts. They just kind of bury the conflicts, or <laughs> cause them to increase and grow. Mm-hmm. But in Romans chapter eight, we have some good news. Um, actually, if you read Romans 6, 7, and 8, by the time you get to 8, we're kind of coming into the clear where we get the good news. Um, he says in Romans 8, when this is Paul, and by the way, Paul had conflicts too in Romans 7. He's talking about doing the things he doesn't want, want to do, and many of us are in those places of addiction trying to stop what we can't quit uh, uh, and trying harder, to, and it's never enough. There's some. He talks about that internal conflict, that war going on inside of him, the one who wills to do good. So the conflict there was between the war going on inside of him and his will to do good. His spiritual man, his inner man, wanted to do that which was right and good, and the the, uh, the war in the soul was putting him in, under a lot of pressure. And so in Romans uh, 8, 1, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I know some versions stop right there. But if you have the New King James, you're going to see the rest of the story, which is very helpful. To those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So here's our choice. Here's our options. To walk according to the flesh, the old ways, the ways of trying to keep ourselves safe, righteous, and being knowing whose responsibility is. That is the flesh. Walking according to that or according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus... For that is the law, the law of the Spirit, of life in Christ Jesus, accepting Jesus, believing in Him, abiding in Him, resting in Him, surrendering to Him, has made me free from the law of sin and death. So freedom, true freedom, comes from surrendering to Jesus Christ and not from trying to, you know, um, hold out on your own. For what the law or what we could not do in that it was weak because we're weak, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, of course, and on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, and he brought forth righteousness through his own dying on the cross, so that we are able to defeat the enemy. So let's look at the, the work of the, in Galatians chapter 5, we go into a deeper look at that, what was really done there, and what will come out of it. Um, in Galatians chapter 5, it says, he says, stand fast, therefore, verse 1, stand fast. Hold on. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty with which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Do not be entangled again in the discussions, in the inner discussions of the inner conflicts and the tangles and oh no and what if and who am I. And when this has already been given to us for us by the Lord God through the Word, and in the we are simply to to by faith stand on what God says. That doesn't mean you need to enforce it in the world. You need to allow the Lord God to enforce it in you because you have given him permission to do that because you have chosen to believe what you already know. It's not about just, oh, I got to believe, I got to believe, I got to believe the word of God, I got to, got to, got to. No, you don't have to believe what you already know. This is very, we, the devil makes it very compl- complicated. He tries to make it about believing. I got to believe, I got to believe harder, I got I to gotta believe that I believe. And then the devil comes in, are you sure you believe what you believe? Uh, I'm not sure I believe. I got to believe more. I got to trust more. We're built by God, absolutely put together, built by God to believe him, to know him and to trust him. That's our divine nature. That's our first nature. It's been corrupted. It's been it's been polluted. It's been uh, reconditioned by the programs of hell 
to cause us to believe all kinds of other things. But coming to Jesus Christ, you come back to your senses. You come back to the truth about who you really are. And once you surrendered him, he says, I have given you freedom. I'm taking on this world. I'm taking on the sin. I'm taking on the mess. I want you to stand fast in the liberty with which I have made you free. And do not be entangled again with that discussion from hell. And he goes on to say in the works, uh, for the law, verse 14, 514, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, that you love your neighbor as yourself. So God is wanting us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourself. He says, but if you bite and devour one another, if there's conflict, if there's contention, if there's bitter disputes, beware that you are not consumed by one another. For I say to you, and here is, here's the key, to walk in the Spirit, that's a capital S. We are to walk in the Spirit, and we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. The flesh is insecure. The flesh is wavers. The flesh is looking for more. The flesh in the Garden of Eden wanted something, wanted to know more. It was not satisfied. For the flesh lusts or wars against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So the conflict really becomes that there are two opposing sides. There is the flesh, which is seduced by the de- deceiver, the evil one who lives inside or pro has programmed us with his intentions and his ideas inside of our souls so that we do not do the things we wish. The things we wish are the things we're created by God to want, and, and yet we don't do them because the soul is actually not your friend in that your mind, your will, your emotion have been programmed, seduced, and are being used against you, controlled, controlling you by the one who controls you, which is the evil one. Um, but when we come to Jesus Christ, that's why he says, walk in the spirit. Choose to use the soul software, not the soul software, but the spirit software, and walk in the spirit. That means I have a choice. There's no condemnation, he says in Romans 1, 8, 1, to those who choose to walk, not continue to walk, not according to the flesh or the soul software, the body of death operating software that was programmed into us through the experiences that we've had through our lives, but choose now to walk in the spirit which means that we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, like he says in Galatians chapter 5. Um, but he says, um, if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. He says, now these are the works of the flesh. These are the evidences, these things that, that are there uh, in the flesh, in the soul, in the reasoning, in the self-preservation, in the, um, you know, creating your own sense of self-righteousness or... or, or um, Self-gratification. Or, um, yeah, exoneration. You know, you're, it's, you're not to blame. It's not your fault. The, the only one that can exonerate us or, or vindicate us or validate us or acquit us is the Lord God himself because he already knows what the devil's been up to the whole time. So now the works of the flesh are evident, which are these, of course, and this is a partial list, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, or sexual immorality, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things do not inherit the kingdom of God. Now notice, these are all things that we are tempted in some way to do or to continue to pursue 
believing a lie that if I do this or that, then I will be safe, I will be loved, I'll be better, blah, blah, blah. But the fruit of the Spirit, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, you could say with its evil programming. If you live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Um, so, and then he, if he wraps that up by saying, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. In other words, don't allow the enemy to twist that all around again to make you think you're something when you're not. But walking in the Spirit, restoring such a one, the next verse of Galatians 6, 1, um, restoring such a one in a, in a spirit of meekness. If, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So then he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So we see all the things that God is asking us to do are basically impossible to the flesh. Yes. Well, here, like in, in Romans, uh, or uh, Galatians five seventeen, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. So there is this conflict. Now, a lot of uh, believers I know that have said, well, you know, we're in this constant conflict uh, with the s- spirit and the flesh, and it's just like, it's just this constant irresolvable, it's an ongoing battle that never ceases. So uh, is it is it possible to break free once and for all, or is it is it does it come mm-hmm. to a place where Paul says, I die daily? In other words, I... Well, what he's dying to, yes, it is possible, because uh, for this purpose, the Son of God is manifest to destroy the works of the evil one. And I believe it's possible as long as we do one thing, and that is follow the Holy Spirit or walk in the Spirit, because the Holy Spirit's going to lead us into victory. He's not going to lead us into um, defeat. Now, uh, it says here in verse 18 of Romans 8, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which will be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature eagerly waits for the the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So we already technically have that liberty, and that is, it's not something that we have to uh, do something to obtain. It is something that has already been given to us, and we are to receive it and walk in it, walk in this new uh, inheritance, walk in the glorious liberty. And that liberty means I'm free from the battle, but to be free and continue to be free in on this pleasant, uh, present earthly uh, turf, to be free and continue to be free, we must continue to walk in the Spirit. And that's why we have to die daily. We're dying daily to the suggestions of the evil one, to the to the temptations of fear, saying no to the enemy, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. This is necessary. This is not just for those who are interested in spiritual warfare. This is absolutely necessary for every individual who would want to follow Jesus because every one of us, once you come into an agreement with the Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ, you are now an enemy 
of the enemy. You're an enemy of this world. The God of this world now hates you. You are in war. You are in conflict. And the only way you're going to win is to know that you've won already and then allow the Lord to keep you safe. So Romans six eleven through 14 says, Likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, mm-hmm. that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God mm-hmm. as being alive from the dead as your members and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Notice For this sin, is an act of the will. Yeah, it's making a choice. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. So we are under, if you're under law, you have no choice really but to sin. You're just mm-hmm. going to sin, mm-hmm. sin, mm-hmm. sin, no matter how you try not to. <laughs> but uh, you're under under grace. So grace really... Um, if is, is you you have a choice, you can yield, your, yield yourself to sin. Well, the choice is that grace says it's finished. Um, right. You know, the world, the religion says it has to be resolved by you, and you have to prove that you're good by doing good deeds. And how many times have our good deeds been thwarted? Simply, you know, most of the great patriarchs got through their trials and temptations not by doing a good deed, but by following the Lord, continuing on, and being patient to allow God to vindicate them and to, re- to reveal the true nature of what was going on. So, so, so grace, really, when we know the a grace gift. of God, there's a power there. Grace gives us the power. Uh-huh. And grace comes say, from love. No, say no to sin, say yes to God, mm-hmm. and, and to allow the Spirit of God. So there is freedom. So there, there doesn't have to be this mm-hmm. constant conflict, conflict, conflict. If we're yielded to the Spirit, mm-hmm. and as Paul says, he says, I die daily. Well, it, it all goes back to this kind of an interesting analogy. When you fall in love with someone and you absolutely love them and you know them and they know you and you love to be with them, you love to talk with them, spend time with them, even if it's little silly things, you're just with them, you love, love, love them. You're not free anymore to, I mean, you don't want to be free to go chasing after other lovers. At this point, you're you're free to be completely committed to this love. And because of this Love of God, which is a gift freely given, and it's that God knows you. We don't have to live in fear, uh, conflict, trying to solve the irresolvable conflicts, because really all of the, and then this is another subject for probably another time, is all of the tests that you're going through, all of the tests to try you, and by the way, the word trying in the Bible never implies what? Well, it's interesting. You know, a lot of I've heard a lot of sermons mm-hmm. talking about, you know, trying to reach the lost, trying to pray, trying to establish the kingdom of God, trying to build a church, try, try, try. Mm-hmm. The word trying. trying is not in the scripture. Used it as not the word trying is in the scripture, but it's always used in terms of testing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like not as effort. Con- for mm-hmm. example, in the context of the testing of your faith, mm-hmm. the trying of your faith, it's not a matter. It's not nothing said about try to serve God. Effort. Try to do this. Nothing. Nothing. You can't find it. No. Okay. So we misuse the word trying. The devil takes the meaning and twists it to being it's up to me. Try effort exerted exertion. Blah blah blah. But God is talking about in terms of the trying of our faith, which the testing, uh, refining of our faith, actually, which, which brings forth uh, pure gold. 
um, that is really God is allowing the enemy to scrutinize us, to test us in his crucibles so that God's workmanship in us can be proved good and faithful and he can qualify us to be joint heirs with him. So this is really a good fight, um, the fruit that comes out of abiding. And this is the evidence, really. This is the evidence James is talking about. If you go back to Galatians, right after he gives the list of all the bad things in the flesh, he gives the list of the the fruit of the Spirit. And this is the evidence. If you are looking for evidence in your life that you're growing and making progress, then this is what you're going to see when you you find that progress. Uh, Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, like I read before. But see, the thing is, none of those things are things you can purchase or earn. Those things that, these are things that come out of God's work and perfecting, refining us. God, the work of God's Spirit in us. This is the evidence of God's Spirit in us and giving us uh, the, the meekness, the humility. Um, in some ways, we are dead because I cannot examine myself anymore. I cannot justify myself anymore. I can't say I'm good. I am. I, the Bible goes on to say, to live as Christ. In him, we live and move and have our being. And this is the transaction. This is the maybe even part of the spiritual conflict. The transaction God wants to work in us is to transfer everything that I am to who he is. And then it is for me to continue on and exist is to to live and move and have my being in Christ. And you say, well, wow, I'm swallowed up in God and I don't even exist anymore. Oh, yeah, that's what it may appear to be. But when you're swallowed up by God, you become all that God intended for you personally, individually to be. You become completely fulfilled. Exactly, exactly. And and you don't lose your identity. You really gain your full identity. And power and strength and position. Your purpose, your position, your identity, the ability, your calling. But the devil blinds you from that. He says, oh, God's going to swallow you up. You're going to be lost in God. You're going to lose your identity. You won't know who you are. Well, the devil is surely not there to tell you who you are. He is surely not. And so the thing is... um, can we leave with a happy thought? The happy thought is that God loves us. God is good. God is full of grace and mercy, and he knows the battle that we're in. And he wants to heal you physically, mentally, emotionally, and in your relationships. But the key is to trust in him, to trust in his promises, to surrender to him, and to walk in the fullness of his goodness. And so, again, we want to encourage you, all of you to um, read your Bibles. Take off your religious glasses. And just sit down quietly and read only maybe a, just a paragraph, just three words. Just read three words of the Bible. Can you do that? Three words. And the Lord will speak to you and he'll give you a hunger to read three more words. And walk and live and have your being in God. Be blessed because everything out there that can be pulled into a conflict is going to be shaken and pulled into a conflict. But we don't, we're founded on the rock Christ Jesus who is good, who loves us, who will never leave us or forsake us. And he's got your back. He's got you. He loves you. So, again, we're going to encourage you. Those of you who might want to do some counseling, uh, you can call us. We have a a, a life recovery counseling ministry, and uh, that number would be 763-785-4234. 763-785-4234. 
And we do phone consults as well, so you don't have to live within the metro area. And also check out the website. We've got a lot of stuff in the bookstore that will really help you um, get you started, get you learning, because this is a whole new um, stuff is really not being taught very clearly in a lot of places. So that would be liferecovery.com. Check us out. We have lots of blogs there. You can also pick up the old archives of the radio show there as well. So, honey, will you close in prayer for us today? Yes. Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for those that are listening, that have taken the time to listen to this presentation today, Lord. And I pray that all of us, Lord, um, will live in that wonderful freedom that you have, the freedom of the Spirit, Lord, that we won't be in all these conflicts resisting you, uh, just caught up in, in internal conflicts and conflicts with other people, uh, Lord, that we will just live in the Spirit, that we will listen to your Spirit, that we will know what time it is, and that we'll just simply rest and relax and uh, be and uh, abide. I'll be and abide mm-hmm. in your in your Spirit, Lord, helping um, just... Uh, Helping others, Lord, being a blessing to others. Uh, You've blessed us so much. Make us a blessing to others to show them your love and your truth. Let the fruit of the Spirit Mm -hmm. be abundant in our lives today and increasingly so in the days to come. We pray, Father, as we rest and trust in you, Lord. We pray this, Father, in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Be encouraged. God bless you. I have an emergency. What is your location? Because there's a war for your soul.